Well, good evening, everybody. Um, I wonder if you ever think about kind of uh, when you're doing things, what are, what are just the essential things that I need to do? I wonder if some of you who are uni students have ever sort of sat in the middle of a boring lecture and felt like putting your hand up and saying, is this essential for the exam? You know, do I have to listen to this? Because I just want to get the core stuff out. Uh, I was reading this week that the essentials of what you have to do to pass your driver's licence just be, keep getting more and more. One father said he'd spent $2,000 for his daughter on professional driving lessons and she was driving the car around a corner and the indicator came off as she was turning the corner. And because she didn't put the indicator back on again, that's an automatic fail. That's an essential so if you're doing that, write that down. If you're coming up for your exam, make sure you put it back on. I wonder when it comes to what it means to be a Christian, uh, what are the essentials? What do you think would be the essentials that people who aren't part of the church and don't know all the things that we people looking in on what we're doing tonight, what do you think some of the things people might think are essentials to being a Christian? Any guesses? Yeah, looking on, people might say things like um, reading your Bible. You know, that's essential, isn't it, For people would say. What about coming to church? Yeah? People would say, oh, you've got to go to church. Other people, we've heard Phil mentoring tonight. That came through. Boy. <laughs> but if we were listening, you know, some of the things we might think, wow, they're, they're things you've got to do. You know, be good. I mean, who, who's ever heard of a Christian just being bad, you know? Be good. Other things we might say, like, you know, pray. Yeah, oh, the Christian's got to pray. Believe. Believe. And, you know, small groups, you know. Pardon? Spell right, too, you know. It's just that I'm looking at it back front from what you are. That's why that happens like that. And we might get a list like that that say, you know, wow, this is what a Christian, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what you've got to mean. These are the essentials of a Christian, all these things. But you know, the truth is, none of these things are the essential of being a Christian. In fact, Doing things like this, for instance, going to church can't make you any more a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. You know, the truth is that it's not what we do that makes us Christians, but it is what we believe. It's not just that we believe anything, but it's what we actually believe that makes us Christians. And I wonder if we're to boil down all of our faith and tonight you might be here for the first time and you might be saying, what, does it, what do we have to actually believe to be a Christian? What is it that makes someone saved and what is it that makes someone not saved? You know? And if you're asking that question tonight, I wonder what it is that it is so crucial that we need to believe to be a Christian. Now, 
let's have a go at this. And I'm going to share a little bit now about what I think is essential. And I'm going to put some background stuff which I think is important and then show you what I think is the essential thing for faith in Christ. The Bible clearly talks about the fact that there's one God. One God who is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if you were to think about what this God is like, there's a word that sums up who this God is like in 1 John 4, 7. Uh, 4, sorry. Did you pick that up? 4, 7. Do you know what, what that is? Let's say it together, what, we, what that says God is. God is love. God is a loving God. And he loves us so much that he made us, you and me, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he made us because he is a loving God and he loves us. But right in the first chapters of Genesis, it says that God put some boundaries on us and said, I am God I'm all-powerful, I know everything, I'm, uh, I'm, there's no limit to my power, I'm holy and I want you to be like that and I want you to, to do, uh, to, to enjoy everything here but the one thing you're not to do is to eat from this tree. And mankind disobeyed, Adam and Eve disobeyed and what happened is in this world where God made us to love us and to have a relationship with us, into the world came sin. And it brought a barrier between us and God. And the Bible says that the barrier of sin between a holy God who knows no sin and us, mankind, who are sinful, put such a barrier between us that it cut us off from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, your sin has cut you off from God. Your iniquities have separated you from him. And this God who's a loving God who desired that we would know him found that sin separated us from having a relationship with him. And Romans 3.23 says, that's not just so for Adam and Eve, all who have sinned since, all have been born sin. And if you're here tonight, you've sinned. God had plans for you that you would know him and love him. And you, just like Adam and Eve, have chosen to disobey him and gone your own way. And the Bible says that if that's how you are, you're no different to anyone else because all of us have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And worse than that, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. If you work somewhere, you, you earn a wage. And God says in the Bible that the wage that we receive for working, sinning, for earning, for sinning, the thing that we get is death. And death, the Bible describes as eternal separation from God in hell. And we hate that. 
I mean, we were made to know God and to love God and to receive his love and we were made for a relationship with God and so we realise there's something missing in our life and we long to restore it. So we go to church. You know, we kind of sense, wow, boy, we better go to church. But it doesn't bridge the gap. We kind of try and stop swearing because we know that's wrong. But it doesn't bridge the gap. We kind of, when the Red Shield appeal comes and knocks on our door, we give like five bucks. We try and be generous, and yet it doesn't bridge the gap. And we try everything we can to get back to God being good, working hard, doing everything that we can. But the wages of sin is death, and you have to pay the death yourself or have someone else pay it for you. And that's why God sent his son to earth. Jesus came to earth and he lived a totally sinless life, a holy life. He showed us how to live. And then he, the innocent lamb of God, died on the cross. And he made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. He made it possible to bridge the gap between us and God. Uh, 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 says these words. For Christ died for sins once for all. Christ died on the cross for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. The one who hadn't sinned for you and I who have sinned. To bring you to God. 1 Peter 3, 18. And is this because we're like good? I mean... Does it just happen that we're the ones that have been better, so we're here, know God and love God? No, no. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. It is by grace you've been saved. God gave us what we didn't deserve when he sent Jesus, his own son, God in the flesh, to earth to die a horrible death on the cross. And 1 Peter says he was put to death in the body. You know, he died. He took upon himself our sin so that we can be forgiven and we can be restored and made right. But Ephesians 2.8 says something needs to happen for that to take place. Otherwise, everybody in the whole world would be just forgiven. But a decision needs to be made. You need to respond to this truth. And Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, believing that Jesus Christ was who he said he was putting your trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin and for your reconciling to God. 
coming back to him. This is faith. By faith, you are saved. What happens when you do that? Well, kind of lots of stuff. Lots of great stuff. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You live forever. Sorry, you're not going to be able to see all this, but you can hear it, hey? Eternal life. You, you, you made a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're forgiven, 1 John 1.9. Uh, you become a child of God, John 1, 12. And you can call him Father. Uh, you have fellowship with God, Revelation 3, 20. Uh, you're given gifts. God gives you gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. And you have a certain hope and a future that Christ is coming again and you are going to be with him. You know what I think our big challenge is? This is the essential. Faith in Christ. So many people want to believe, believe that Jesus came. They agree with it in their head, but they keep working and doing all these works to try and be saved. And Paul would say, if he was here tonight, he would say, no, 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 we do all these works. We kind of try and live holy lives and we try and encourage and live right, not so that we are saved, that we can be saved, but because we are saved. We're filled with such thankfulness that we got what we didn't deserve and so we're thankful and we live in the grace and in the freedom that Christ died for us. He forgave us and we're one with him. Faith in Christ is the essential to the gospel. Big challenges are a lot of people don't believe these things either. And today our challenge as Christians and as a church is to help people know all of this so that they can come to have faith in Jesus Christ. Now Paul in Galatians, as we've been reading together and as we've been coming to understand, was really disappointed with the Galatians. You know why? Because he'd been preaching them the gospel that they could be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And they'd received that message and just so quickly now that Paul's gone, they're going back to this kind of works mentality. Look what it says if you have Galatians open in front of you. In verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I preached this gospel that it's only through faith in Jesus Christ and now you're turning to another gospel. And we know that the, the gospel is that the Judaizers, people who were Jewish 
Christians who had grown up living according to Old Testament laws, who had been circumcised as little children, you know, following what Abraham had said to his children was a sign that they were part of God's family. They got circumcised and then they started living according to special days and then they heard the gospel. And instead of changing all of that and going back and undoing that, they just now instead of believing that it was their circumcision or their observing of special days that made them saved, they looked to Christ alone for salvation and they were saved, Jewish people. But there was a group among those Jewish people that were Judaizers and they wanted to add to the gospel that it's not only through faith in Christ that you can be saved, but you need to also be circumcised if you're not a Jewish person and you need to observe a few days as well and you need to do these things. And what they started to say was that Paul didn't even preach about that. He's not even an apostle. He's not even a true one of the apostles that were with Jesus. In fact, he's gone to Jerusalem and got his little gospel and he's come back and sometimes he's preached about circumcision in some places and other places he's left it off and people are saying his gospel's from man and he's not a real apostle. And you remember last week we were kind of looking at the fact that hey Paul is is proving to them that the gospel that he got was not from man it was from God. You'll remember last time in verse 12, he said, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus. Again, in verse 16 and 17, he says, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who are the apostles. You know, I just went to meet with them. I didn't get the gospel from them. I got this from God when I was on the road to Damascus. And in those years afterwards, I got it directly from God. I'm a true apostle. And that's why he starts the letter in Galatians. Paul, an apostle, sent from, not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and the Father who raised him from the dead. And so Paul has been defending that he is an apostle and that he got this not from from man but from God, his gospel. And now we see this argument continuing on in these verses. And I want you to notice uh, as we read together um, these verses here in verses 1 to 2. It says, 14 years later, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and sent before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Now here, Paul's talking about a trip that he had 14 years after he became a follower of Christ on the road to Damascus. And what he's now saying to the Gentile, the Galatian believers who are being tempted to move away from the gospel that you're saved by faith alone through grace. And and what what he was trying to say to them is, look, I, I want you to know that I went up to Jerusalem and when I got this gospel, 14 years, so I wasn't influenced by them, 
but I actually went up to lay the gospel before them. Out of these passages, out of this verse here that are before us, I just want to pull out four things for you. He didn't go to Jerusalem because he had second thoughts about his gospel. No, no. He didn't want to just go and check with them that the gospel was all right. That would play right into the hands of the Judaizers who were saying that his gospel came from man and not from God. He says here, I went by revelation. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel. What he's trying to clearly show is that God was at work and that's why he went. The second thing I think he shows in these passages, we're going to ask, why did he take Titus with him? Well, Titus was a Greek and Titus was uncircumcised. He wasn't circumcised according to the Old Testament law. Yet he is a brother by faith. He believes in Jesus Christ by faith. And he's genuinely showing the signs that he's accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is Paul's best test case. What better way to prove that the gospel that he's preaching is not adding by showing the Galatians that he actually took Titus right up to Jerusalem, right to where the big heavies are of the faith, and he took him along there with him. Big question is, as we're reading this passage, will Titus be forced to undergo extra things so that the gospel, you know, uh, will he have to add to this circumcision as well? That's what the Galatians would have been thinking as they read this. Paul is forcing the issue and seeing whether the heavies are going to add more to him on this issue, to his gospel. Thirdly, I think, he met with um, the apostles and especially Peter and James. And I want you to notice that he, he, he met with them privately. And I think the reason he did this because he was unlikely to get a fair hearing. I think he knew that the climate was such in Jerusalem with these Judaizers that had come in that if he was to have a public discussion, they would have undermined the gospel and said, you know, try and sort of sidetracked everything that was going on. So he met privately with the key leaders and really discussed with them, laid before them. You know, and I think there are times when leaders need to sit down together, especially on key issues of doctrine, and talk about it together and wrestle with it so that they can come out together united and say, this is what we believe. And it seems that that was happening right here in these passages. I want you to also notice that Paul's purpose for going to Jerusalem in verse 2 was to confirm that he'd not run in vain. Paul wanted to ensure that his ministry was going to continue and that if the Judaizers were right and he had to undergo circumcision for people that weren't circumcised, then there would have been an agreement and he would have disagreement and he would have felt that it would have hindered the advancement of the gospel and he would have felt that his running would have been in vain. And so he went to try and discuss and talk about this so they could get some agreement. And I think right up, these verses show us some things that can help us tonight. Firstly, I want you to just notice that Paul is not afraid to confront when there's 
core issues of the gospel at hand. Paul is not uh, timid when it comes to issues of salvation. He's not afraid to challenge people when there's disagreement. And you know what? I think that if we're people that believe God's word and believe this is the word of God, it just doesn't fit to just be all nice and, you know, when people are sort of undermining the Bible and they're not living and, and, and not believing the truth of the Bible in the way that the Bible clearly teaches. And I think, like Paul, we should be strong and stand firm for the truth, especially when it comes to issues of salvation and when it comes to core issues of salvation. Paul was no wimp when it came to core issues of salvation. He stood firm. He took Titus along to actually bring it to the fore. I wonder for you, does truth matter a lot to you? Would you be willing to stand firm like Paul did? Be strong when the word of God is being undermined? I hope you would. I hope when you hear it or or see it being uh, misused, abused, people adding things to people, you know, uh, it's, yeah, it's by faith alone, but you need to do these other things in order to be saved, that we would stand strong against that. Paul would. And the second thing I think that comes out of these verses is that it's important that we actually do agree on core issues. I don't think that... Uh, Differences in core issues of doctrine is a light thing. And I think if there are differences between us and others or or people within our congregation, we should seriously take those things seriously and wrestle through them to see what we do believe and what we believe differently and so we can know that where we can have unity on these and where we can stand apart from people. It's worth having discussions. It's worth being upset when people are trying to add to our faith, when people are watering down the gospel. And I think it's important that we do bring it to the fore and discuss it. Why? Because if people are believing a false gospel or adding things to the gospel, then it's possible that they could have run in vain. We've got to stand strong against that. Charles Spurgeon, uh, a great Baptist minister of of many years ago, once said, uh, once found in his preaching ministry that other Baptist ministers were starting to undermine the Bible. Like they were kind of saying, well, you can look at this part and we're not really sure whether this part happened or uh, some of these, well, you know, you can take or leave it. And Spurgeon was just so... Uh, distraught by it, that he kept having private meetings with his authorities in the Baptist Union 
he kept saying to them to his face, you know, I've heard about this pastor, I've heard about this pastor, I've heard about this one, I've heard about this one, and, and they're not preaching the gospel. And then after just continuing to, to speak this to the leaders and in action, Spurgeon did something which cost him dearly. Many people thought he was completely wrong. But what he did was he withdrew from the Baptist Union. He said, I can't be identified with people that are undermining the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, and people that are teaching things that aren't in accordance with God's word. And he withdrew, faced a lot of criticism, but he stood firm. I think truth matters. We should stand up against it. And when different ones of us believe things differently, that we should talk together and figure it out, especially when it's on core issues. There's something that uh, Augustine said, and I think it's kind of helpful for us to to think about it together. He said uh, that on um, essential beliefs, like what we're talking about now, you know, Uh, God being three in one, uh, one God, three in one, that it's Jesus Christ came and died, that we're sinful and that the only way we can be saved is through faith in him on essentials. Augustine says, well, there should be unity. In non-essentials, there should be liberty, freedom. Now we can all have different opinions and I think we should hold them strongly, we should wrestle with them, we should discuss. But then Augustine said, in all things, in all things, Charity, which means love. And Paul would say in these things here, (laughs) there needs to be unity. How can we be one with people that undermine or add to the gospel that comes directly from God? How can we be one when core things are undermined? So, for instance, just the simple thing of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, means that for Jehovah's Witnesses, we can't be one. They don't believe that Jesus was God. Mormons, we can't be one. The Christadelphians, Don't believe in the Trinity. We can't be one. Love? Yes. In all things, but in the essentials, this is, is, no, we can't. We have to stand firm. Because it's not just a matter of, uh, another one might be uh, Muslims. You know, there is one God, Allah, Allah. And Muhammad is his prophet. 
we, we would have to say, we can't agree. We can't agree. These things, there must be unity. Spurgeon would leave the Baptist Union rather than be identified with people that undermined God's word. Truth matters. This passage, Paul goes on and he says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false teachers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Now, in, this, uh, in this, these verses, I show why Paul stood firm even when false brothers infiltrated the, the ranks. Why did he stand firm? What, why does it say here? Look in verse 5. It says that he did not submit to these false brothers so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. I think that's absolutely astonishing. If Paul hadn't stood firm, the truth of the gospel might not have remained with the Galatians. And we wouldn't have this book today to, to, to see the gospel in all its glory. There would be no gospel. There would be no good news if Paul had given in to the demands of those that were trying to add to the gospel. If he hadn't stood firm... Who knows what Christianity would look like today if people took away from that. The faith that we have today might be vastly different. And we need to stand firm like Paul did. That's why he stood firm. That's why he remained. So what Paul accomplished here in verses 3 to 5 is to show the Galatians who were reading this who the Judaizers were in their midst. They were people that, you know, were really false brothers from Jerusalem. They're just like them. And they're trying to undermine the gospel and they're trying to add to it and they're trying to, uh, you know, really undermine the truth of it by adding things. And what's at stake in their demands is the true gospel where people might be being saved or trying to be saved some other way. And that's no gospel at all. In verse 7 of chapter 1, he said, you know, that is no gospel at all. No gospel at all. Finally, verses 6 to 7. We see here Paul now describing his encounter with the apostles themselves. He says, as for those who seemed to be important, I think the Judaizers were saying how important these guys are. He says what they were, whatever they were, makes no difference to me because God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry 
as an apostle to the Gentiles. So what this group, the apostles, have said, as they said, Paul, you know, we recognise that you're preaching the gospel, that people can be saved through faith in Christ alone. And we recognise that your calling is unique because you're called to the Gentiles. And even though we're not asking people to not, you know, be Jews anymore, we, we want them to still be Jews and we're not asking them not to get circumcised. You have a different calling, but both of us, neither of us are trusting on our circumcision or on our special days for faith. We're trusting in Christ just like you. And even though we have different expressions of the gospel, it's all based on faith in Christ alone. And that's what counts. So we recognise your ministry, we validate it, we affirm it, and we recognise that ours is different, but it's both based on faith in Christ alone. James, Peter and John and those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They they said we were partners in grace, they said, and they recognised... the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me and they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. Paul here has shown clearly to them by taking Titus there and him not being asked to be circumcised that the gospel that he was preaching was not lacking and that it is through faith alone that you can be saved. So we should defend and preach this gospel. When it's undermined, we should stand firm and we should be willing to defend it even to death. I mean, if you undermine this, you undermine everything that God himself has ordained. The gospel is through faith in Christ alone. Never compromise that. But you know what else? Faith City? Absolutely. They believe in Jesus Christ for faith alone. Extend the right hand of fellowship to them. Wodonga, Presbyterian Church. Absolutely. They believe in faith faith in Christ alone for salvation. Salvation Army with their funny uniforms. Absolutely. Extend to them the right hand of fellowship because they believe that faith, we can be saved through faith in Christ alone. And do you know what? When I sit and I think about 35,000 people in Wodonga, I think how are we ever going to reach those people with the life-saving, transforming gospel? I find strength when I realise that right over Wodonga are churches that name the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded that the Baptists are just part of God's glorious family seeking to reach the lost. I wonder tonight, have you responded to Jesus? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Saviour? I mean, 
Maybe tonight you've come and thinking that just the fact that you were here made you better in God's eyes. Have you actually said, I not only believe that you died on the cross and took upon yourself my sin, have you actually taken the step of asking Jesus to forgive you and actually putting your trust and faith and everything that you have on the cross of Christ, receiving the forgiveness and becoming a child of God and making that transition? Have you ever done that? Oh, Tonight would be a wonderful night for you to become someone who receives eternal life, someone who receives, uh, becomes a new creation, someone who is forgiven completely of all your sins, even the ones you're ashamed of and would never tell anyone, that you can become a child of God and call him Abba, Father, that you could know that God says, you know, I stand at the door and knock and if anyone opens the door, I will come in. You can know that you have gifts all through faith in Christ, recognising that this sin has been a barrier between you and God and making that decision. You want to do that tonight? If you have, it's just as simple as praying a prayer. And we can do that in just a minute. If you have made that decision, I just want to cry out to you with everything that I have. There are so many different gospels around today. Don't you dare settle for anything less than a gospel of freedom and grace through faith in Christ. Don't let anyone tell you that your salvation needs to rest on works. But when you understand this, oh, you want to do all this. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to church and be part of, read the Bible every single day? I can't get enough of it. But it's not because there's some boss telling me I've got to read it. It's because I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I just want to know about this God more and more who would do such a wonderful thing to me, a sinner. And I want to be mentored. I go down every month to Melbourne and have two people mentoring me, not because Phil tells me to, <laughs> but I would if you told me to, Phil, but because I just want to grow. I want to thrive. Stand for the gospel and live it every day. And the final thing is, don't you ever talk down about churches that name the name of Jesus Christ. How could you? How could you do that? That would be like talking down against Jesus himself, his bride. Why don't you encourage them? Spur them on. Oh, they may have differences, you know, like they might sing differently or think differently or on, on sort of these non-essential parts. But be very careful. And these guys, <laughs> how are we ever going to reach them unless we seek to love them and help them know that they can be freed from their works 
They can be free from trying to earn God's favour through all these things, through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you know any, love them to pieces. Show them the grace and the faith that you have in Christ and pray for them every day. Paul was willing to go right to Jerusalem and stand for this gospel. May you live it. Tonight, in these moments, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus through faith for the first time. You might want to look at this as we pray. and You might want to you know, say, Jesus, I'm, God, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm trusting in what you did on the cross for me, Jesus. And I'm receiving you into my life while we pray this. Let's just do that together and, and pray tonight. And this would just be the best decision you could ever make. Let's pray. Oh, God. Many people are here tonight and many people have come thinking that works can get them favour in your sight. And yet just in these last moments, like in this last half an hour, they've just been hit by what you have done for them, sending your son. And many people here tonight, God, want to receive you as their Lord and their saviour. I just ask God as people lift up their hearts tonight that you would hear their prayer And that because of what you have done in sending your son, that many people would know the freedom that comes through faith in you alone. If that's you tonight, why don't you just say this prayer in your heart to God and receive him as your Lord and Saviour. Why don't you say this, dear God, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross. I'm a sinner. I need the forgiveness that can only come through faith in Christ. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I put my trust and faith in you. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you that I'm a new creation in Jesus. Thank you that I'm forgiven, not through what I've done, but through what you have done, Jesus, on the cross, taking it all. Thank you that I can now call you Father and I'm your child. Thank you that you have promised to come and live in me. And thank you, God, that as I live, you will enable me and empower me by your Holy Spirit to serve and to love you and to live the rest of my days for you. Thank you for this amazing grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right.